thing of greed, um, if, if you just think of any mood or state of mind that sort of has this movement towards something in order to get it, as if it's, it's kind of like um, longing, desire, uh, a, a sense that if I only had something, you know, that, that wanting to be born into something, the wanting to get something, it's not just coarse consuming and having to buy and having to accumulate, but it's that longing in the mind, you know, that manifests in much more subtle forms than that. Uh, than these core states. So think of this as sort of an umbrella uh, for uh, a range of states of mind. And under hatred, when we talk about that, we're talking about that, that um, uh, it's kind of like a survival mode energy, you know, that when something is difficult or painful or we don't like it, there is an automatic, you know, re- response to it, you know, that this stuff where you, you either contract around it with fear or anxiety or um, actually lash out at it. You know, it's like you, you see these kind of automatic responses come up very, very uh, easily in the mind, um, where we're trying to get away from some difficult feeling by attacking. <laughs> you know, it's like you go into attack mode, um, uh, attacking the object. And then um, delusion, of course, is. Uh, it's, a, it's the not seeing, the not knowing, the not understanding, the sort of absenting ourselves in a way. It's often equated with ignorance. So there's a, you know, just take that word apart. There's like an ignoring, you know, there's not a not wanting to see or just a plain not seeing of what's going on. So it's very tied up with um, uh, be the opposite, being the opposite of wisdom and understanding, which is part of the goal of our practice, right? So these these states are going to come up a lot, and they have all their different shades. Like you know, you can expand the list of these three to become the five hindrances, you know, and that would uh, add restlessness and worry uh, and uh, sort of a, a sloth or doubt. Both of these get often get put in the um, delusion category, but the restlessness, you know, you can have this sort of agitated state because you're not getting something you want or because you got something you don't want. You know? <laughs> so you, you get either way, you get um, there's this anxiety. You know, this is, to me, this is one of the strongest states of mind, difficult states of mind that we deal with. Um, most of us, uh, I think it's fair to say, uh, are anxious a lot of the time uh, over one thing or another. So uh, you can expand that list further if you want and go to the, the ten fetters, you know, which adds a few more to this list. There's no end to it. But just thinking in terms of greed, hatred, and delusion is sufficient. So um, what we're looking at is recognizing that these states are part of our um, karma, if you will. They're, they're part, they, they arise in all of us. And the Buddha was quite clear on the fact that there's nothing to be done about their arising, in the short term anyway. The practice eventually leads to uprooting those, but in, a, in the moment when they arise, they can come up so fast and so strong, and he's saying that they are a fruit, they're, a, they're an outcome, they're a product of past, um, have past ways of being with things. So it's sort of like if you've been piggy before, you're going to be piggy again. You know that if you've been hateful before, you're likely to be that way again because each time we give in to them, we're actually conditioning their return, right? 
So um, th- that's, an, that's an important fact, too. I think we'll come back to that in a little bit. That, that's very, very helpful in, in terms of trying to establish some sense of impartiality about these. You know, and this is important because uh, you've got to, in order to uproot them, one has to look at them with some semblance of detachment. And just more matter-of-factly notice that, this, that you're in this state. And that's not the normal way that we do. You know, as soon as you, especially lots of times when you learn these teachings and you start to begin to see how prevalent these states of mind are, and we're still filled with old strategies for dealing with things that we don't like. And you've got a deadly combination in here for, <laughs> for self-loathing, you know, for beating up on ourselves. So this information that you can't help the arising of these states is very, very helpful. You know, it can help just relax around that. It's, it's, it's sure you want to be free of it, but it's fine. Let's have a look at it and let's learn about it and let's figure out how to deal with it because um, hating it is only getting you right back in the soup. You know, then you get this, you hate hatred. And then you hate that you hate that you hated it, you know. And it just, I mean, this is, this is how we do, isn't it? This is the way our minds are. So, um, the, the point, uh, I think, of um, even examining this is that, um, you know, as, as I said, the Buddha called these the three unwholesome roots of suffering. So they're, they're in a statement or an experience in no uncertain terms of suffering. You know, the experience of being caught in these states is not fun. And so that, that alone is enough to want to pay attention to it. But um, the not seeing them of them and the not knowing what to do when they come up causes us to continue to act out of them. And so we're we're going to create, we're going to act in ways that are going to create more suffering. So, you know, all of this says to me um, that it it, it behooves us to pay some attention to this topic. Um, uh, Usually what we do when these states come up, and uh, this goes back to one of the teachings of the Buddha where he talked frequently about wise and unwise attention. And I, I love this teaching because it's, it, it really sort of has this impartial attitude sort of inherent in it. It's, it's not that uh, there's something wrong with us or there's something bad. It's just that we don't understand the consequences of being caught in these states. And not understanding, we, we attend to them. We get It's like, so, you know, you have this uh, longing for something you don't, have, and there's a, a, an, an underlying sense that if I could only get it, I would be happy, then we pay attention to that thought, and we think about it, and, and mull it over, and uh, the same with the hateful thoughts, and they fester, you know, it's like if I could just get rid of that, that guy just didn't work in my office, you know, everything would be great. Excuse me, uh, is there something to grab a hot passport here in the Yeah, sure. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so uh, what he's what he's kind of pointing us to is ways to help us to stop attending um, in this unwise way and to look at them with some wisdom and some understanding, and that breaks the pattern. 
you know, uh, if we just get uh, caught in them and follow every impulse, then, um, you know, it's sort of like what you've always gotten is what you're going to continue to get. You know, the way you've always been is the way you're going to continue to be. So um, there's a lot in this, and it's a lot to try to cover in in one night. But um, I still think it's useful to walk through it and get some sense of what's being said in here, and so that you can take it home and reflect upon it, and look, try to work with it in your life and in, in your practice. And then uh, certainly you can talk to um, each other and to uh, other teachers about um, how to work with these things. Okay. A lot of it's going to be familiar because I'm, I'm get, betting that a lot of you are already working with it quite skillfully. So um, he pointed to these five methods to direct our attention in wholesome ways when unskillful and unwholesome thoughts um, come up into the mind. Remember that it's called the removal of distracting thought, the removal of thought that is harmful or difficult. So and he, with each of these, he gives a little simile uh, that's a very powerful image um, to, to convey the feeling in, uh, um, of shifting the energy. So like with the first one, um, and, and by the way, these are a progression. Um, in the sutta, it's very clear. He says, you know, try this one. Try number one. And then if that doesn't work, go to number two. And then if that doesn't work, go to number three. This, this is actually the language in the, in the sutta. You know, so you can see these as a progression where number five is sort of your last ditch effort, you know. (laughs) So the first one, uh, replacing the unwholesome with the wholesome. Basically, um, um, like uh, in a way, what comes to my mind is like if you're a parent and a child is uh, doing something harmful, then you you take the harmful thing out of their hands and you put something that's benign. And, you know, it's it's that, it's that, neutral you know it's that it's just that it's based in wisdom get them out of the harmful and difficult state by giving them something that's um, actually the opposite that's not harmful and not difficult so the image that he uses here is uh, a carpenter just as a carpenter and his apprentice knocks out a coarse peg by means of a fine one we replace the unwholesome with the wholesome very simple I mean but not so simple to do. (laughs) So um, if you just look at these um, experiences of um, sensual desire and aversion and delusion, he says that basically we have um, these moods or these attitudes or these mind states towards people and towards objects, towards inanimate objects. And there's an antidote for each of those categories. So uh, what happens, you know, and you just, just look in our own lives um, with um, sensual desire or aversion towards people. Um, what happens is that uh, something uh, uh, they do, something they say, something we hear about them, you know, one, some, something comes in our um, uh, being through one of the sense doors. And it could be a gesture, it could be the way that they are. It could be um, something that we find attractive, something that we find unattractive, right? We just get slammed with that in the second. And then the uh, response to that is um, to exaggerate it, to proliferate about it, to, to just not let it go, 
Have you ever done that? <laughs> you know, it's like, so that if it's something or somebody that we find attractive, then, you know, you just start fantasizing of the, 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 the I'm so in love state of mind, you know, and actually making them up in a way, you know, in, in our minds. Um, you know, I, I know for myself, when I first saw this, it, it was on a retreat one time, and this, uh, this guy had um, given me something. Um, and uh, it was just like walking around in the retreat in silence. And he was giving candy out, you know. And he didn't look, he didn't uh, say anything, obviously, maintained the retreat. But this gesturing was actually outside of what's allowed, but he was doing it anyway. But in that, in that process, in that receiving of it, it just, it, my heart was so open, it just went right in, you know, the generosity. And I started to, you know, I looked up, I wanted to see who he was so I could know who I was going to fall in love with, you know. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> and then, then spend the rest of the retreat creating him in my mind, you know. And then at the end of the retreat, uh, meeting this person, and, you know, the, the guy wasn't even close, you know. <laughs> it, wasn't e- it wasn't even close. And that feeling, I mean, that realization for me was f- fabulous because it occurred to me at that moment that I wondered if I ever knew anybody, you know, or if it's all just some moment, some gesture, some word, some look, you know, and uh, the mind filled with sensual desire just gloms onto it and uh, starts to build a world, starts to build a person. And it's horrible when, when you when you really see yourself do it because um, it's it's uh, it's humiliating. I, f- I felt humiliated, and I felt um, that I was it was doing a great disservice to other people because I was not rec- I wasn't I didn't continue to take in information. I didn't continue to be there and hear and, and what have you and receive this actual being who was in front of me. I was too busy creating them, you know. <laughs> and then, and then often you wonder why relationships don't work, you know. And then, and then often you 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 take that kind of data and demand that that person be that way, you know. That's the stuff that that we end up um, uh, beating up on each other about. Why aren't you the way that I want you to be, you know? <laughs> what? You know. But that's what we're doing. <laughs> that's what we're doing all of the time. And and so. Um, you know, this is painful and this is difficult. We want to break the habit of that. And the same kind of thing with the aversion um, towards people will do the same thing. You know, they, one unkind word, one unkind gesture, and it can go on and on and on. And the mind will not let it go, you know. So what are you going to do? You know, we've got to have some techniques, um, some tools um, to, to work with this kind of thing. So, I mean, in very coarse states, uh, some of this may sound a little strange, but the Buddha, uh, in relation to sensual desire, he's actually pointing us in the direction of things that are going to balance out that um, extreme, exaggerated view and get things back in perspective so that when it comes to longing for a person that you are actually fabricating in your mind, then he's actually recommending, and this... Uh, this can sound strange, but um, 
uh, I don't want to water it down. It, it, he's, he's actually recommending that you contemplate what that, the body really is. And so that, um, you know, you break through this, particularly if you've ever been lost in extreme lust or desire for somebody, then um, you've got to have something to break through that pattern. And it's like everything is totally out of proportion to what's actually happening, you know. So um, uh, focus on, um, there's actually a meditation in the Satipatthana Sutta where he enumerates 32 parts of the body where you kind of get in perspective that this body is, um, you know, it's hair and mucus and snot and, um, you know, blood and feces and urine, you know, and just contemplate that and, and, and it's just like, whoa, you know, <laughs> whoa, okay, okay, I'm back now, you know, that kind of, <laughs> really, what am I going nuts over here, you know, let's get it in perspective and get you back in the more receptive uh, alert mode, accepting attentive mode. So that for, for lay people, um, he, rather than 32 parts, it's, um, he diminishes that just to the first five, that contemplate hair of head, hair of body, skin, teeth, and nails. And I think that's fascinating, because when you consider, <laughs> I mean, talk about the, the delusion of our culture. Um, there are industries that uh, around, you know, hair of head, hair of body, skin, teeth, and nails, you know, <laughs> people great, put great emphasis on these parts of the body to um, make them alluring and attractive, and in a way, um, I think, um, cloud over um, the true nature of them, you know, really. I mean, when it comes to hair and nails, for example, it's the only part of the body that's already dead. You know, <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's already gone to de- de- decline, complete decline, you know. And so you've got to do something to deny that, you know. So you get that, the hairspray and the curlers and the hair dye and all this stuff, you know. So get it back in perspective. And this is what he's trying to get at. Get it back in perspective. And when it comes to desire for an object... Um, um, you know, this can be really interesting because um, what we'll do is you can't, something makes us uh, uh, feel good, you know, whether it's food, usually it's food, food's a good one, you know, you, you, you think about foods that you want and uh, can't stop thinking about them, so much so that we can override wisdom, you know, in relation to that. It might be things you know you shouldn't eat and you'll eat them anyway. It might be quantities that we shouldn't eat and we'll do it anyway, you know. Or, or say, let's say it's um, just with mental states and fantasies. Uh, you know, I hear a lot about not being able to control fantasies. Even though we know that um, being preoccupied with these states of mind actually is conditioning a, a, a terrible discontent with life. You know, you, you, you get lost in your BMW fantasy or whatever, your $27 million lottery fantasy, and, and you, can, you can do that for hours, you know. But then you come out of it, and you got this feeling like your life isn't okay, you know. It's not good enough. And, and uh, there's tremendous um, harm being done by these states. But, um, you know, we do it anyway. We, so so um, he says here, in the second one, sens- sensual desire as relates to an object, to break the attachment by contemplating impermanence and non-self. 
You know, you get it. That no matter what you get, no matter what object we acquire, it's going to break. It's going to fade. The colors are going <laughs> to fade. You know, the, uh, it's going to get scratches. It's going to get dense. Whatever. You know, just to really consider the, the look at it down the road. Not to diminish the joy that objects bring. And this is where I think it often gets distorted. Because he's not saying that there isn't good feeling in these things. But when we're getting lost in them, then we're going to suffer. And so it's all about getting rid of the suffering, not um, making objects bad, you know, but just keeping in perspective the suffering that we can create by um, not seeing the true nature of the things that we get lost in sensual desire about. So then, for example, with, with aversion towards a person, um, this one's interesting. It says we should develop um, kindness towards the person, endeavor to wish them well, not wish them harm. Well, you try that when you're really hating somebody. You know, that's, that's hard to do. It, it's, um, you know, that, that, that's the, the first um, response that he offers, is to try to take the mind to that place. And what can be helpful is just to recognize that, uh, or contemplate the fact that everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants not to suffer. And so I don't care how difficult a person is or how much they're hurting us, that's where they're, that's, they're just like us in that regard. And that can help. But it doesn't always do the trick, you know. Um, and so, and I find, I know for myself, with some difficult people in my life, I, I just, I couldn't go there, you know. And one of the best, one of the things that I came to quite naturally, what, and, and then I found out later, it was actually one of the methods he talks about, was to um, just recognize that you're suffering. You know, that there are difficult people in the world, and we bump up against them, and we have a hard time. And so, if you can't turn towards, uh, turn your heart in kindness towards them, then turn it towards yourself, in the sense that you're um, you're suffering, and you need to be held, <laughs> you need a bubble bath or something, you know, to soften um, the pain that you're feeling from difficult people, you know. And what, one of my teachers one time did this is I found this very very helpful when I was having a very difficult time reminded me that um, there are difficult people. <laughs> <You know>? Oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there are people who just um, have ornery personalities and grumpy and stingy, jabby personalities, and we run into them. And sometimes we're that way. But, you know, just to, to make peace with that can... Um, uh, loosen up some of the hold that uh, that state of, of hating them can have on the mind or not wanting it, not wanting it to be that way. Uh, so, um, aversion towards an, uh, an object, um, this can be uh, really interesting. Um, you know, one might say walk into a coffee table or want to kick it, you know, or get pissed that you got a flat tire on the freeway and, you know, just want to go out and get a new car, you know. 
that kind of thing and just um, uh, really go into quite a state of mind about things that are just going to happen. And actually, the commentaries, even uh, in, in explaining this one, they they talk about things like tree stumps and things in the forest. And you're walking in a forest and you stub your toe on a tree a tree stump and you want to kick the tree stump, you know, and get pissed at it. And so, uh, or the weather, you know, it's, like, it's so cold, you know, it's so hot, you know, that that stuff we get into. <laughs> you're pissed off because it's raining, you know. Um, so uh, to really to, to contemplate the fact of the, the the four elements, it's earth, it's air, it's fire, it's water. That's what physicality on this planet is all about, and that's the way it is. You know, so it, you, what you're really going to do hate somebody because it's raining. You know. I did that one time in England. I was so pissed. And I, I, then I was, I, I was looking for, you know, I realized I was looking for somebody to complain to about this, you know, <laughs> or to, to hate for it. it it's nuts. So um, the, this last one, and you're, see what we're doing with each of these. We're trying to replace the unwholesome with something that will be a lot more useful to break the pattern, to break the habit, break... Uh, uh, turn it towards um, a wholesome state. And actually, sometimes that's all you have to do is just get in there and try something else for a few seconds because the mind, um, at least my, the, my, my experience is that it's got really short-term memory. You know, it, it, it doesn't, it, it, it's just, it, it's like count to three and the thing is gone. You know, the thing is over. And, and so uh, just getting in there with a different temperament, a different mood for a few seconds can be huge. And then this last one, delusion towards a person or object. And, um, there's a lot in this. It, it has a lot to do with um, faith and, and wisdom and understanding. But just the, the, the long and short of it is that uh, what he's pointing to here is that there, there are people um, in our lives, like we're often drawn to the wrong kind of people. So that, um, like for example, when he talks about the five hindrances, one of the antidotes that he has for all, all of the hindrances is to associate with people who aren't that way. You know, but that's not what we do. It's like, you know, when you, when you want to uh, speak ill of people, you go looking for people who will gossip with you, you know. And, or if, you, if you're agitated and restless, you, you gravitate towards people or objects uh, that will be that way with you, you know. I watched one time when I was really agitated, and it, it was like my, my, I, I actually had this thought, "Oh man, man, you know, I need some coffee," you know. And it was like, "What?" You know, the last thing you need when you're restless is caffeine, but that's what the, the mind is like gravitating towards things that are, um, are similar, you know, and, and just out of ignorance. Uh, it just out of an, an association. The mind has a very strong associative qualities, and so it doesn't think things through. It just you just get lost in the associating. It's like, oh, I know this feeling. This is just like the feeling I get when I drink a lot of caffeine, you know. And so then it goes that way. Or oh, I'm nervous. I know what I'll do. I'll have a cigarette. You know, whatever. Uh, that's what it does. So um, the, what, what we need to do instead is break that pattern 
um, and go towards the opposite. So um, the, the thing here that's recommended is to seek out the guidance of um, good people. So you're, you're all quite skilled at doing this. You know, that's, that's why you come to centers like this. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of wisdom that brings you to um, uh, the Buddhist teachings and to centers like this to be with people who are going to help us to get free of difficult states of mind. You know, and of course the opposite is true too, that um, we're not drawn to people that we should be drawn to, you know, uh, drawn to people that we should, don't, uh, shouldn't be drawn to. And so it's just getting, uh, being uh, aware of that as a mental habit, mental patterning, and endeavoring to, um, to reverse that. Largely through contemplation, the antidote here is contemplate the Dhamma. Contemplate what the Buddha is saying about these states, and 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 consider. And and that doesn't mean just sit here and think about it. That means like in the moment when one is being drawn to people who will gossip with you, to see how that feels, to get it directly. That you know, ooh, you know, this is not fun. This is, uh, I'm feeding this unskillful state of mind and I'm not helping them either, you know, to really feel that. Yeah, so some good stuff in here. (laughs) I I find this uh, particular teaching very helpful. So if that doesn't work, number two, ponder the disadvantages of the unskillful thoughts. Um, And... You know, he says, just as a man or a woman would be embarrassed if they had a carcass around their neck. (laughs) So we should be embarrassed. You know, it's like these are difficult states of mind. He's pointing to qualities that he actually um, talks about in the previous sutta, which are very important qualities to have in the heart. It's like if if you want to get free, you want a lot of these qualities. And... They're, they're called the, the guardians, uh, the guardians of the uh, universe, the guardians of the universe. They're called Hiri and Otapa in, in Pali, and um, they're translated as moral shame and moral dread, which is perhaps an unfortunate translation, but um, the, what you're getting at is basically conscience. You know, the bit in me that would be ashamed, it would be ashamed if I saw myself in the mirror with a carcass around my head, you know, <laughs> around my neck. That's it's that same feeling, you know, that black gunk coming out of your mouth when you're speaking unkindly, you know, the um, uh, what the experience of hatred is in the heart, you know. Uh, one want, you know, in our culture, we don't like this word shame, but Buddha likes it. <laughs> you know, there, there should be, you should be ashamed of that. But in, not in a self-denigrating, beating up on ourselves way. Like, lose that bit. But just noticing that, this is not behavior that is befitting someone who wants to wake up who wants to be good, who wants to exhibit, maximize, optimize one's goodness. And the, the moral um, dread is that 
it, it, it's a, it, you, just even the thought about going into that state is like, you, you're sort of like a Venus flytrap, you know, the whole, the whole system would recoil. That, that's, when, when this is mature, that's what it's like in, in the mind. You can actually, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, you can actually see where you, you might have the impulse to go into an unskillful state and something goes, it's like there's a force field or um, you, you've got your shields up, you know, uh, and the whole, um, the whole heart and mind just organically contract, retract, and pull away from those states. Man, when that gets going, it's great. You know, you've got, you, you've got, that's why it's calling them the protectors of the universe. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're going to prevent harm. That's what it's all about. So, contemplating in this way, um, these thoughts are unwholesome, should be let go, whether you actually have those thoughts or it's sort of a more subtle, this movement away from states. And I like this next part where he says, contemplate in this way, when sensual desire, aversion, or delusion arises, it leads to my own affliction, to the affliction of others, to the affliction of both. It obstructs wisdom, it causes difficulty, and it leads away from nibbana. So just uh, to me, that says even more experientially, um, to feel what it feels like, to contemplate the uh, direct experience of the unpleasantness of being caught in something unskillful. Just, just feel it. That, that's what's going to do it. That's what writes the course. That's where you know, mindfulness is so important. It's just in paying attention to what it feels like to be this way. And it's like, it, it, it's not, like I said, don't beat up on ourselves. It, it, it's not like you're, you're, you're bad, you shouldn't be that way. But it's like, but you are. So be real about it, you know. It, that, it's more like that. Just uh, hold it neutrally. So then if that doesn't work, then try to forget those thoughts and don't give attention to them. Just as someone with good eyes who doesn't want to see forms would either shut his eyes or look away, so we try to focus on something else. And this is very practical advice. And the more you understand the harm, the easier this is to do. So that, um, you know, in the commentaries, he's talking to one of the monks and who's having difficulty with some um, discursive thought that isn't particularly skillful. And he tells them to go and um, go sew your robes, go fix your bowl, you know, go tidy up your kuti. Just go do something else. Take your mind off of this completely. It's like it's over here, turn it over here. You know, you're looking this way, close your eyes, turn the head and look over this way. You know, it's that, it's that basic and that simple. And as I said, the more we understand um, the harm, the easier that becomes. And the more neutrally we hold it, the, the more, uh, if we don't beat up on ourselves for being in this state, then you have an impartial attitude. You just turn, you, you know. Uh, it, it, have you ever had that experience where it's like, I know where that goes. 
you know I just and it's easier you can just turn turn the mind towards something else you know I was talking to somebody recently who's suffering with breast cancer and she just gets incredibly anxious and she came to this herself where what what she would do is um, just get up and go skiing and she went skiing like every day you know <laughs> and and she'd come home and start thinking again she'd go back out again and just just keep preoccupying her mind with something that is either more either skillful or neutral to go to something else completely um, another thing that one of my teachers said uh, one could include in this is to contemplate uh, space. This is um, very, very helpful. Like when, when you have a thought that um, won't you, you, the mind won't let go of, then um, it's kind of like this image where you take that and then just start panning back as if the camera in a slow motion movie or something starts panning back. And... Um, put that within a much bigger arena it, just to give it the, the perspective and I find this really really helpful um, like for myself my mind tends to get very contracted very easily and so I've realized that environments where I have um, a big vista are incredibly helpful to me if I can be uh, on the water's edge if I can be high on a mountain, if I can be in Kansas, you know, it's like that ability to see for hundreds of miles, you know, it, it just uh, lightens the mind. Um, for somebody else, it might be the opposite, you know, they need something to uh, contain things because you're just so erratic. So I find, I find that uh, particular thought helpful. So then if that doesn't work, then um, he says to try to slow things down. Um, And and he says, it's as if someone would walk fast, and then it occurs to him or her, but why do I walk fast? Now, let me walk slowly. And as if then he or she would walk slowly, and it would occur to them thus, why do I walk slowly? Let me stand still. So, you know, just this image of, uh, okay, it's all moving too fast. You know, you can have this feeling like you get caught in a mind state, you can't control it, you can't see how you got in it, you can't get out of it, all of that. Then um, slow it all down, you know, just like freeze frame it. Uh, Part of it is, uh, part of it, part of some of the, the best learning one does about states of mind is when you find yourself in one, just freeze it and go back and see how it happened and learn um, that progression that got us there, which is our karma, our pattern. How, you know, when people say this, when people talk at this tone of voice, I go nuts, you know. When um, I see uh, strawberry cheesecake, I get crazy, you know. (laughs) Whatever it is, you know, you, you just start to see how that happened and what your particular pattern is. So that's very important. Or according to the teaching of dependent origination, that there's some kind of contact, that we like it or don't like it, that we grab hold of it, and before you know it, we're completely lost in it. Just looking at what you're getting to then is through slowing things down, 
you can drop out of the content. It helps tremendously to drop out of the content of what's happening and just start to see these processes of the mind. Man, when you start doing that, you got some you got a real leg up. You can get out of these states a lot easier because the the mind is very interested in its own processes. <laughs> you know, and it's like a, you start, when you start to look at mental processes, it's like, oh wow, how did that happen? Oh, I see. You know, and and, and where's the hatred? Where's the sensual desire? It's gone completely out the window. We're we're interested in what's happening as phenomenon at this point. We've dropped it, we've taken it to a whole nother level. And the the states of mind are gone. Or we're looking at them in a new way such that we're not lost in them. So this is incredibly powerful to um, slow it down and have a look. This brings in this um, uh, enlightenment factor of investigation of dhammas. Look at it, uh, investigate it. Now, if that doesn't work, if all else fails, <laughs> then <laughs> the last one is uh, restrain it, subdue it, beat it down. Just as if a person with great physical strength should, having caught hold of a weaker one by head or body, restrain, subdue, and beat down that weaker person and make him wearied and exhausted, just so should the unskilled thoughts be checked. You know, this is, uh, this is very important. It, it, it's got to have, um, it, it's the just say no bit, you know. It, it, it's it's got to have this, but it's got to have this quality of like tough love where, um, you know, if somebody was really doing something harmful, you would make a loud noise or shake them or, you know, do something to snap them out of it. You know, it's got this quality where it's not hateful and it's not aversive. You're not doing this out of repression, a wish to repress, or to smack yourself around. It's the mind state that we're trying to get free of, right? So it's like, no, I am not going to think about this anymore. And, and, and it's not because it's bad or because uh, of anything other than that we're suffering when we're in it and we're going to uh, potentially create more of the same. So with all of these, um, it's, the, the mood has got to be as neutral, detached, impartially interested as it can possibly be. And that grows over time. You know, initially, a lot of these methods will be used with no small amount of um, self-view. And so they'll be accompanied by a certain beating up on ourselves. That's going to be a given. You're going to have to know that. But as as we mature in practice and begin to see um, through that tendency, then it's much more uh, a a state uh, or a case of examining with interest and impartiality as the phenomenon of the mind and the consequences of being caught in various states. So can you feel that? So you, get, you, you, you can, and that's actually a very good measure of the maturity of your practice. You know, how impartial are you able to be 
about these states of mind. You know, how, 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 how detached and interested can you be in them as phenomenon? So with this, uh, you know, the, the idea is to know that right now you just need to get out of the state. Later on, you can reflect. Later on, you can uh, try to figure out how it happened. But when a state is very, very strong and harmful, then you need to get yourself out of it. Just so right now, you just want to push it down. And, and this one I, I find particularly helpful in situations where you've got to uh, maintain some sense of decorum and integrity about yourself, like in certain environments, you know. Um, there's times maybe at work or with family where you just, you just really would rather kick in a wall or, you know, push, uh, hurt somebody, you know. Something's got to come into play to um, offset that impulse, that very strong impulse. You know, we have um, the consequences in our culture right now of people who cannot do that, who are not doing that well. You know, particularly there's thinking about like a aggressive driving and things like this, where there's situations on the road that you don't like, and I mean, who hasn't had the impulse to you know, <laughs> to, to put, uh, put your foot heavier on the gas and you know go after somebody, but you you hold it back. You've got to. Um, uh, relax and uh, establish some sense of, of restraint around these harmful or hurtful impulses. We all have them, you know. So, um, can be very. This uh, this particular teaching, I think, can be very very helpful. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope um, you find it useful. So it's a lot to cover in one night, but I wanted to walk through it all and. Um, give you this uh, information that you can take with you. So you tack it up on your refrigerator or something, you know, <laughs> a reminder to, to help with difficult states. But, yeah. So um, you might have some comments or thoughts of your own. Yeah? And you also know their good points. Right. Well, mm. Exactly. And I also mm. know their good points. Mm. That helps me. Yeah. But when I come across that kind of unacceptable or difficult behavior in a stranger whom I'm only crossing paths with like that, and I don't have a chance to see their good points, and I don't have a chance to influence them with kindness and compassion, that's when I have the hardest time. And that's what's been happening recently where mm. much to my dismay, I notice that in the Bay Area, 
country. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of racism on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. And that has been sticking to me. And it's like, I don't know how to let go of it. Well, I mean, there's two things that come to mind. What uh, One is the one that I mentioned here, that um, reflecting on the fact that this, no matter what one's behavior, no matter how abhorrent their behavior might be, everybody, and this is a matter of faith initially, but you come to see it through practice, everybody wants to be happy and everybody wants not to suffer. And everybody is in their nature, their their true nature is good and kind. This is what the Buddha says. Now, you may not know this uh, directly, especially given the data that you describe that you have coming at you, but it is the way that it is. So we accept that on faith initially and endeavor to maybe use some of it, slow it down, try uh, another approach that would allow you to um, receive this person, open your heart to this person, uh, so that um, one isn't taking this one bit of them, exaggerating it, and creating a total being out of that. That's, that's, the, that's the problem. It's the same thing as uh, with attractions, like the example I gave. This is not the person. This is a mind state. This is a mood. This is a temperament, perhaps. It can be more pervasive than just an arisen thing. But it is an impermanent condition and it is being driven by ignorance and grasping. And the more that you can understand that, then uh, the more spacious one can be in the presence of it. Then the the second bit that I think might be helpful is, you know, I I heard in the way that you asked the question that um, you you want to fix it. You want it not to be that way. This is hard. But part of what one has to do in practice, and I'm not saying it's easy, is get it that it is this way. It's like, yeah, but they shouldn't. I know, but they do. Yeah, but I don't like it. Yeah, but, you know, it, it is that way. So that the, the, the subtlety of the Buddhist teaching is he's trying to get us to the place where there is complete and total insight into the truth of dukkha. Then, if you're going to do something about it, it's going to be coming from a place of understanding and wisdom and acceptance. It's, it's, it's a paradox. You have to accept the prejudice in order to um, uh, deal with it, in order to address it most skillfully. It's not that you... You, you can... You can um, go ahead and address it while you're still hating it, but your actions are going to be different. And so that's all that Buddha is getting us to. He's trying to get us to a place where um, the, the quality of heart with which you act is as pure as it can possibly be. It's not accepting in the sense of uh, it's okay. It's not okay. It's accepting it in the sense of it's a fact that it is happening. Can you feel that? 
So that's a, that, I'm not saying this is fun. Insight into dukkha is not fun. You've got to feel it and you've got to have a good cry and you kick in a wall or do whatever it takes to let the heart open and expand itself to the reality of um, ignorance and foolishness. Yeah, yeah. It's like so. So then, you're not um, your your actions are going to be coming from a much more skillful place if you can do that. So I would say just take that and mull it over, contemplate that a little bit. Yeah. Someone over here had something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I find that what's been one of the biggest helps for me in that regard, and I've no, by no, no stretch of the imagination arrived, but just um, seeing the seeing the hatred in my own heart and um, feeling what it feels like to be that way, and uh, in the moment when someone else is being that way then that gives rise to compassion because I know how awful it feels. <laughs> you know, it's so... It, it, prejudice, hatred. I mean, come on. It's so foolish. So ignorant. And so painful. So they're suffering. Yes, one more. Mm-hmm. When you get into the negative space, mind space, there's a certain energy that gives you something. Mm-hmm. You almost have to counter the energy in order to get to the better place. You kind of get on whatever it is Yeah, we get off on it in a foolish kind of way, though. It's not the... Um, it, it, the um, uh, it's a identification with uh, states of mind and um, thinking it's, you know, who we are. I mean, that's, that's part of what's happening in that moment. And um, I, I think, you know, there's something to be said for there's a certain excitement and exhilaration, whether it's hatred or sensual desire, that um, maybe makes it somewhat attractive but I think that that's an unexamined state you know that if we examine that more closely um, what it appears pleasant but it's not and uh, and that's a that's part of the foolishness that the Buddha talks about a lot is that taking something that to be pleasant that is not pleasant and taking something to be um, unpleasant that is actually pleasant so, like, you know, the idea of renunciation or detachment, ugh, you know, that sounds very unpleasant. I don't, and it's actually the experience of it is so light and happy, you know, just to offer the opposite. 